It's Monday, April 8th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool 1, Jason Moser, and from Motley Fool Supernova, Matt Argusinger. Happy Monday, guys. Howdy. Glad to be here. Let's get this done because the national championship game is tonight. Our colleague Andy Cross is over the moon as a Michigan graduate, so he's he's obviously thrilled that uh, that they're in the, in the big game tonight. Um, we're going to talk about earnings season, which officially kicks off tonight. And we're going to talk about, uh, well, we're going to talk about my weekend and Mac's weekend because Mac and I took very different trips. But I think there are some business lessons to be had. I guarantee you. From visiting Kentucky and from visiting Las Vegas. Things to do and not to do. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, But we're going to start with the big deal of the day. Uh, I'll be honest, I'd never heard of Lufkin Industries until this morning, but apparently it's an oil field services firm, and apparently it's worth buying because General Electric is buying it for $3.3 billion, shares of Lufkin up more than 37% this morning. Jason, one of the stories that's out there as a result of this is people are saying, hey, you know what, GE paid too much for Lufkin. GE's got a lot of money to spend, but uh, first and foremost, do you think that uh, this is a smart move for them? Well, it's definitely along it's along the lines of what they said they were going to do, and and I do think it is a good move for them to really focus on getting more exposure to that oil and natural gas uh, sort of sector, uh, because as we as we talked about before taping, that really is the segment that's growing the fastest for GE, and as they sort of divest a lot of those other interests that aren't really in their uh, you know circle of competence, so to speak, I think that oil and natural gas, uh, energy in general, are, is going to be a place where we're going to continue to see them uh, focusing on. Now, the thing is, in most cases. There aren't a lot of acquisition targets out there. You know, they, Lufkin competes with the likes of companies like National Oil, Well, Varco, Halliburton, Schlumberger. I mean, these are all big, huge oil giants compared to Lufkin at, at about, uh, you know, three billion dollars. So I guess the deal was, was targeted at. So yeah, it was close to three times sales, maybe a little pricey, but when you consider there weren't a lot of other options out there, GE was kind of, I don't want to say they were a desperate buyer, but they were certain, certainly looking to do something like this, which, which probably uh, gave Lufkin a little leverage there. Uh, Matt, we've, talked about CEOs stumbling as they try to implement their various plans. On the flip side, when you look at GE and Jeff Emmelt and what he has said he's going to do, he really seems like he's executing against that plan of getting the company more diversified, less reliant on GE finance, uh, GE capital, that sort of thing. And this this deal seems to be right in that wheelhouse. Right. And I think this is, this is a long-term play. And I think Emmelt and team, they see this. You know, we, we've got a somewhat of an energy boom going on in the U.S. Uh, and domestic drilling of, of oil and gas offshore, it's, it's really taking off. I mean, we've talked a little before about how the U.S. could actually be energy independent by 2020 or a little thereafter. And I think GE, this is an early move GE is making. It looks like they might have overpaid, but they're betting on a big long-term trend that could really pay dividends down the road. And as Jason said, it's just there aren't too many small to medium-sized plays in this space that can that can, a company can actually buy. I mean, if you talk about National Oil, well, Varco, Halliburton, Baker Hughes, Schlumberger, these are all $20 billion and up companies. Right. So $3 billion makes sense for GE. I was just going to say, if, you, you know, if you're a GE shareholder, and I'm not, it seems like you'd rather see them make a move like this than make a, a huge... Because to get a National Oil, well, Varco, or a Halliburton, you'd really have to pay up that. I mean, the, for all the talk of overpaying... At three point three billion to get yeah. a Halliburton, I, I I can't imagine how big that check and that's is. That's definitely beyond what they said they were going to do. Anyway, remember that it wasn't too terribly long ago. I mean, their stated intention was to focus on their core businesses and really to make those little bolt-on acquisitions. And that target was around three billion dollars. So this is right at about the limit there. Uh, but given that Lufkin makes the majority of their money in the United States, uh, they 
do make they do make some of their money outside of the United States. I, don't th- I think it'll be interesting to see how GE incorporates Lufkin into their model because GE does have such a, a broader geographic uh, you know diversity. Uh, I, I think it'll give them an, uh, you know a little bit of an opportunity to not only play in our boom like Maddie was saying there, but also to play into the, the general uh, the general global uh, energy boom. And you know there was there was a lot of talk here uh, not too terribly long ago about them potentially acquiring Joy Global. Now, Joy Global is very much coal. Uh, oriented, they make about you know two thirds of their revenue com- comes from coal. Uh, I can understand why they probably didn't make that acquisition. I mean, coal seems to be uh, a little bit a little bit on the outs there, but but that was certainly more of a of a geographical consideration there as well. Going looking into like China and India and their needs for coal, not only for uh, just just economic purposes, but for infrastructure purposes as well. Do you think that this is the first of several moves to come, or is this just? You know, I, I'm trying to get a sense of if Imelt is uh, maybe not as overtly as Warren Buffett talks about his elephant gun and looking for acquisitions, but do, do you have any sense of uh, in in this space, in sort of the oil and gas and energy space? Do you expect GE to make more acquisitions of this size or maybe a little bit smaller over the next year or two? Tough to say for GE in particular, but I think it, the energy space in general, this is a this is an industry, a lot of these industries, um, oil, gas, exploration, pipelines, they've kind of been left behind with this market rally over the last few years. It's one of, Energy is one of the kind of most underperforming uh, spaces in the market, and I think there's a lot of good valuations out there. So I think you're going to see a lot of consolidation. I think you're going to see a lot of the big companies, ExxonMobil, Maybe GE, again, will make more purchases in this space. So, yes, I, I do expect there are going to be more M&A activity for sure in the energy sector. Alcoa reports earnings after the market closes today. And with that, the uh, earnings season officially kicks off. Um, and I'm curious what, what you guys are thinking as we head into this new earnings season, um, what you're watching on CNBC this morning. Uh, one of the things that was pointed out that you look at the S&P 500 and over a 100 companies have already issued downward revisions going into this quarter. And so that would seem to, you know, for all the excitement over the last few weeks over, you know, new highs for the Dow and the S&P, it really seems like uh, there's a, a, a decent level of cautiousness heading into this quarter. But what are you thinking when you watch it? Well, I think what we have to watch for now more than any other earnings season is we have to look at revenue growth. And in particular, after revenue growth, the next thing I'm watching is R&D spending and CapEx. And here's why. Earnings have been really good the past few years, and that's because companies have really cut costs to the bone. Right. Uh, so a lot of the companies that are, I think, are that are that have already come out and pre-announced disappointment results, it's because they're, they're going to miss on the bottom line, which which is not good, but at the same time, it's not really what I'm paying attention to. I want to see if there's organic business development and growth among companies, and the one way to see that is if you see revenue growth and you see companies actively spending their capital on, on new growth, those are some of the issues, the trends I'm watching. So I'm not I'm not worried about earnings misses or anything like that. You should actually never be worried too much about earnings misses. But what's happening more on the top line and with the company's investments? Yeah, we we've talked about the whole notion of you know the the whole game of beating by a penny, missing by a penny, uh, and that you know fool, that that's lowercase fool's game. That yeah. that uh, certainly goes on a great deal. But on the flip side, there are there are companies that come out and really either have a blowout quarter 
or in the case recently of J.C. Penny, uh, just miss <laughs> in a huge Epically way. bad. Um, what are you watching, Jason? Yeah, I'm going to be keeping an eye out for the cash the companies are uh, keeping on their balance sheets and, and looking for clues as to how they plan to use it. I think uh, a little bit of the GE deal there kind of leads into my thinking there. But when you look over the past couple of years, the companies have been on the defensive lately, really building up their balance sheets. And it looks like at the, at the end of last quarter, uh, when you exclude financials, companies had a record amount, uh, close to $1.8 trillion of cash on their balance sheets. And so one thing we know, they're going to be, it's estimated they're going to spend probably about 10% more on dividends. The S&P 500 companies are going to spend about 10% more on dividends this year uh, than they did last. And that's including uh, a lot of the special dividends that were issued, uh, you know, like December 31st <laughs> right. to, to deal with whatever tax implications of the, of the sequester. But I think that when we look at this this recent jobs report, which was obviously less than stellar, uh, it's it's questionable as to whether there are really uh, green shoots coming out on the employment front. I'm not really certain that they are uh, coming out, and I, and I think that the the Fed is still going to be uh, forced to keep rates low for a long period of time. And so, really, getting an idea of what these companies are doing with that cash on their balance sheets uh, can give us an idea as to how they see the rest of the year playing out. Whether they're going to be spending on things like capex or R and D, like Maddie was talking about there, and, or, and I think or, yeah, or acquisitions. I mean, I right. think that that's one of the reasons. I think you, Jason, you bring up a great point about the balance sheets. I mean, balance sheets are in really good shape in general. That probably means we're going to see some consolidation. Maybe once we get through this earnings season, you're going to see a pickup in M and A. And I'd love to see that. I mean, I think there are a lot of companies out there that look exceptionally. Uh, attractive now from the acquisition front. But I think also it's worth considering that there is a lot of that cash that is overseas. And we always refer to right. Apple as, as the perpetual example there. But a lot of these companies have a lot of their cash, uh, in accounts overseas and they don't want to, they don't want to be repatriated. They don't want to pay that repatriation tax. And so, and understandably so, um, I think it's a shame. I think that Congress should get off their duffs and offer a tax holiday. I think that that could bring a lot of capital back into our economy. And even if it doesn't really create jobs, you have to you have to look at the effect that it would have on these companies and their stocks, returning more value to shareholders, whether it's through acquisitions or dividends or share buybacks. But that's probably putting the cart before the horse. No, but to that point, I, I do think that we certainly saw over the last 12 months or so shareholders and, you know, individual and institutional really agitating uh, companies for uh, looking for them to use their cash as their cash balances have grown over time. And I, I agree with you. I do think that if there was some kind of tax holiday to bring back some of that cash, ideally there is something involved with that. So it's not just, hey, bring back your cash tax-free no matter what. You know, Maybe there's some sort of incentive related to hiring in the U.S. But regardless of that, I think that if they're bringing that cash back and then all of a sudden it's, well, it, now we have you know, 30, 40, 50% more cash on the balance sheet. Now what are we going to do with it? I think invariably you're going to see dividends go up uh, and, and possibly more acquisitions. I want to go back to the R&D thing for a second, though, um, because when, you know, R&D uh, strikes me as one of those things that is obviously a lot more important for some industries than others. So when you talk no about R&D spending and how they're doing that, what industries in particular are you looking at? Sure. Well, I, I being on our Rule Breakers team, we're looking at a lot of, uh, you know, technology companies, particularly software companies, biotech companies. Those, those companies, I mean, their lifeblood of growth is coming from R&D. And what I like to see normally is even if a company it, uh, reports disappointing earnings, but I see that their R&D has actually kept up with their revenue or even you know revenue growth or even exceeded their uh, revenue growth, that to me is a very positive sign because it tells me the company 
is missing for the right reasons. It's investing its cash and trying to, you know, focus on the long-term growth of the company rather than trying to meet or beat earnings expectations. So that's specifically for companies in the medical services or software services, those kind of companies pay attention to R&D. Yeah, you're probably not going to see a lot of retailers getting out there spending on yeah. R&D. If JC, if JC Penny starts bumping that R&D line up there, I'd be a little, a little bit more yeah, suspicious that would be a, that'd be a red flag. Today, Although Lululemon might have to do some yeah, R&D. That's, that's They're absolutely yeah. going to have to do some R&D. Uh, just to wrap up on earnings season, give me one company that you personally are really interested to see their earnings, and it could be because you are cautiously optimistic they're going to have a blowout quarter or it's a train wreck or because you honestly have no idea and you're genuinely curious to see how they perform. Just one company that you're really interested to see this I, I got to go with two. I'm going to go with UPS, which reports April 25th, only because it's such a bellwether. They had a kind of a disappointing report back in January. It's such yeah. it talks about so much about the lifeblood of what's going on in the economy and globally. And then I, I got to I got to see what Netflix does on April twenty second, only because they had that blowout quarter yeah. last time. I want to see what you know s- the s- subscriber numbers look like, and gosh, can they continue this momentum they've sort of had over the last six months? It's going to be interesting. Yeah, it's been a, an amazing uh, six months for that stock. Is this? Uh, I don't follow it as closely as you. But I do know that they had the whole House of Cards series. Right. Is that going to factor into this quarter's results? It, it should. I mean, because they, they, I guess the show premiered, was it February? End of February there? I think it was, yeah. So, right. So that's this quarter. At least anecdotally, you heard about people like, I, I, I'm not a subscriber, but I'm going to get it just because I really want to see totally, the series. Totally. Although now you can pre-order it on Amazon. <laughs> so nothing lasts forever, I guess, right? Uh, one company you're watching this quarter? I, I can't help but keep my eyes on LinkedIn. You know, LinkedIn to me is one of these companies that just jumped out of the gate so fast, and that dichotomy between LinkedIn and Facebook, and I think that played out the opposite way of uh, that a lot of a lot of people thought. But but LinkedIn, speaking of R and D, is one of those companies that got in there and committed 25 percent of their revenues every year is going to research and development. R and D, baby. Yeah, there they continue to build a great. Uh, relationship based with their corporate clients and so much though so they've been able to raise prices. So I'm going to be interested to see how that's all played out and just see, see how they sort of see the rest of 2013 play out. It's, it's an interesting company, uh, fun one to follow. Uh, uh, our listeners, our dozens of listeners can't see this, but uh, if you happen to be watching the video, you, you'll notice that we've got a couple of things on the table. I, I was in Kentucky this weekend, uh, ran a race in Louisville that uh, that went pretty well, and then had the chance to. I, I'd never really spent any time in Louisville, and I, I highly recommend that city. Just just wonderful to walk around, great restaurants, et cetera. Uh, but then after the race, after I got cleaned up and had a little time on my hands, I thought, hey, the Woodford Reserve Distillery is just about an hour east of here, so of course. Got in my course. car and, and drove out there, uh, picked up some bourbon butter crunch, which is just unbelievably delicious. Oh, my gosh. Very clear and here. a bottle that you can get engraved. Uh, so I got I got an engraved. Yes, Jason. Can you hear that crunch? Yeah, there you go. There's, that is goodness. That is pure goodness. Um, really but we good. had talked uh, over the last few weeks about Maker's Mark and the whole debacle for Maker's Mark where they were going to change their recipe and then there was the backlash and all that sort of thing. So I made a point to ask the people at Woodford, but also just bartenders and, and that sort of thing, sort of what what was the reaction? Uh, um, people were floored. Uh, that, you know, And it seems like there's a lingering resentment. Floored uh, that they would do it. Floored that they would do yeah. it. Um, maybe not so much from the publicity side of things, thinking, well, it's a great way to get attention, but... Uh, 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 the first thing, uh, this woman who works at Woodford Reserve, the first thing out of her mouth was, we would never. <laughs> we would never do that. I would that. imagine there is a level of pride involved. I mean, I, I think we were all pretty pretty surprised that Maker's Mark would have even considered that. And the fact that it got it went public, I think, really you know, hurt the brain a lot. But yeah, it just seems to me there'd be 
given the work that goes in to producing a batch of something like yeah. this, it just seems like there'd be too much pride on the line to even consider doing something like and that. And the parent company for Woodford is Brown Foreman, which also owns Jack Daniels. And one of the things I learned at the distillery, uh, the Woodford Reserve Distillery, was was how they work together. Uh, Jack Daniels helps out with uh, some of the bottling on the airplane size bottles. So it's uh, I don't own shares of Brown Foreman, uh, but that was something that I had always sort of wondered about. Like, well, you know, are you are, when they amass all these different brands, are they actually working together, or are they just sort of different? You know, horses that they all have in the same stable, and that's it. And it sounds like, at least in the case of Woodford Reserve and Jack Daniels, they are doing some work together. Now, Chris, I have to at least ask. I mean, Fulapalooza is just around the corner. <laughs> is there any potential that this bottle will make it a Fulapalooza? Or do you have other plans? Well, for this will it make out through the week? Or <laughs> Fulapalooza? That's at least two weeks away. Yeah, I don't, our, our annual meeting, uh, I think there's going to be plenty to drink at our annual meeting, so you're that right, bottle's going right. to stay here. Good call. Uh, at the Fool. But, Very uh, call. before I, I bring in our producer, Matt Greer, who also had, uh, a, a weekend away, um, Ninety-seven percent of the world's bourbon comes from the state of Kentucky. So yeah. is that right? Ninety-seven percent. So invest accordingly. That is unbelievable. <laughs> um, uh, let me see if I can uh, bring in our uh, Mac Rear. Uh, went to Las Vegas this weekend, uh, and it's one of those great situations in life, and, and, and we're all married, so we know this. Uh, when when the when your spouse has work. And it's like, oh, well, I'm, I'm going here for work. Why don't you come along? And in this case, uh, Mac's lovely wife had work in Las Vegas. She had a conference to attend. So Mac, Mac got a trip to Vegas. Lucky dog. Gratis. So as uh, they went together, in this case, what happens in Vegas can, in fact, come back. Oh, it, yeah. And, and told back to yeah. Cooler. So, Mac, any, any sort of business lessons that you learned? Because I, I know that... Uh, uh, you, you you did spend a little time at the gaming tables when you were in Las Vegas, true? I did, Chris, and um, two lessons. One is to take emotion out of playing blackjack. Just play it by the book. <laughs> Be patient, like Warren Buffett said. Take emotion out of it. And the second thing is never make one bad hand into two bad hands. There are like a thousand investing lessons yeah, that come out of that. Two really but I, I have to ask, Mac, are, are, did you have the little card with you, you know, the blackjack card, which... Tells you all the, how to play. No, I didn't. But I think I, I think I know how to play the book. Pretty much like ninety nine percent of the time, I know what the play is. Sometimes you have like a soft eighteen or a soft seventeen, and I learned from a dealer that a seventeen is called a mother in law hand. You want Ouch. you want to hit it, but you shouldn't. <laughs> I love it. Wow, I love it. Hell. And on that oh note, God. Matt Argusinger, Jason Moser, guys, thanks for being here. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Forward. Our producer is Card Shark, Matt Career. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Oh, man. That sounds classic. That's a memorable line. That is excellent. You gotta figure out how. What other walks of life can you carry that into? I know. Man? That is mother-in-law. Awesome. That's true. And we both like like my wife loves my mom, and I love her mom. Yeah. So it doesn't quite work.